Thank you, Mike. Go ahead and get your Bibles ready and turn to John chapter 1. Today I want to tell you a fishing story. John chapter 1, and if you want, go ahead and have Luke chapter 5 ready also. We're going to be looking there today. John 1, Luke 5. John the Baptist was out teaching to anybody who would listen, the Messiah is coming. He says to anybody who will listen, get ready. Make sure you and God are on the same page. The Messiah is coming. And do you remember where John the Baptist was teaching all of this? The desert, the wilderness. And people came from far and wide to hear John preach. And John the Baptist had disciples. Did you know that? Before Jesus had disciples, John had disciples. People who kind of followed him around, assisted him. Maybe they were the people who went out to find his locusts and honey to eat. We don't know. And one day, while John is out teaching, Jesus shows up. And John looks over at his disciples and he says, guys, there he is. That's the guy I was telling you about. That's the Messiah. And John baptizes Jesus, and now Jesus is about to start his ministry. And Jesus starts to walk away from John and John's disciples. Jesus comes up out of the water, and he walks away from John and John's disciples. And two of John's disciples, Andrew and John, they ask John the Baptist. They're like, that guy you baptized, you're sure that's the Messiah? And John's like, yeah, that's him. He, he was the one who was promised to us. And those two disciples, when they hear that, you know what they do? They say to John the Baptist, hey man, thanks for all the good times. It was interesting. We ate locusts and wild honey. We lived in the desert and you never took a bath and we learned a lot, but we quit. We quit because if that's the Messiah, we're going to go follow him. So these two guys who used to work for John now run out after Jesus. At first, they follow him from a distance, but then as they get a little bit more confident, they get a little closer, and Jesus hears them coming, and Jesus turns around to face them. And then we see in John chapter 1, the very first thing that Jesus ever says to his disciples. This is a big moment. It's probably going to be something very deep, right? Probably something really spiritual, John 1, 38, Jesus turns around, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? I love that. Jesus turns around and sees these two dudes who are dirty, they've been living in the desert, they smell bad, they've been living out in the wilderness with John the Baptist eating locusts for the last few months. I'd be skeptical too if I was being followed by these two sketchy dudes. But Jesus is like, okay, come on, follow me. Verse 39 says they spent the day together. And Jesus has his very first two disciples. And I wish we were told what they spent that first day together doing. Maybe they just hung out. Maybe Jesus answered their questions. We don't know, but it must have been pretty great. Because look at what Andrew does in verse 41. The first thing Andrew did was to go find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought Peter to Jesus. Andrew was like, okay, Jesus, I'm on board. I'm ready to follow you. Just hang on one minute because when my brother Simon hears about this, he's going to want to follow you too. Don't go anywhere. Stay right here. Let me go get my brother. So he goes and finds his brother and brings him to Jesus. Next line, Jesus looked at him, at Peter, and said, 
You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So now Jesus has his first three disciples, Andrew, Simon, who is now Peter, and John. Now, you Bible scholars out there, what did Peter and Andrew used to be before they met Jesus? What was their job? They were fishermen, yeah. And these guys weren't pond fishermen. They weren't weekend tournament fishermen. They were professional fishermen. They didn't work in a factory somewhere or run a store or do anything on the side. Fishing was it. It was their livelihood. And now, keep, keep look at this. Now, they're giving that up. Peter and Andrew grew up learning about the Messiah They've heard about the Messiah ever since they were kids, how the Messiah was going to be Israel's hero. Of course they're going to follow him. Yes, we will have to stop the family business, but that's all right. This is more important. This is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. How many people get to say they were at the beginning of this kind of adventure? This is the Messiah. We'll be with him when he fulfills prophecy. We'll be his right-hand men. We're going to be witnesses to history. So Jesus is baptized. Andrew and Peter are now following him, and Jesus begins his ministry. Now, I promised you a fish story, so turn over to Luke chapter 5. We don't know exactly how much time has passed, but scholars say between six and eight months. Six to eight months has happened from the story we just told to the one we're about to look at. What we're looking at here in Luke 5 is six to eight months after what we just saw in John 1. Luke 5 verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and that's what Luke calls it, the other gospel writers all refer to it by the name we know, the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Now, here's a picture of the banks of the Sea of Galilee. As you can tell, it's not like there's a big beach where a crowd can kind of spread out and listen. So it would be really easy for Jesus to get pressed right up to the edge of the water very quickly. So Jesus starts looking for a way to get back away from this big crowd. Verse 2, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Okay, it's probably around 10 a.m. And if you're a professional fisherman on the Sea of Galilee, you fish at night and early in the morning. You aren't going to catch anything in the heat of the day. During the day, you sleep. So whoever these fishermen are, they've just spent all night out on the water, and now they're on the shore washing their nets, getting all the moss and the mud and the trash out. They're about ready to head home and go to bed. But Jesus sees an opportunity. If he can talk these fishermen into letting him borrow that boat, he can float out a little distance away and still preach to the crowd without them crowding around him. Verse 3. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Wait, hang on. Something's wrong. Whose boat? Simon. I thought Simon and Andrew were following Jesus now. I thought they had left their old life behind. What are they doing back out on a fishing boat? Also, Simon? Didn't Jesus change his name like six months ago? Didn't Jesus say his name was supposed to be Peter? Now, what happened? Andrew and Simon were so excited to meet Jesus, so excited to be a a part of the Messiah's work. Why had Simon spent the night on a boat? Why is he not traveling with Jesus? By the way, no wonder Jesus has been pushed up to the edge of the water. He's got nobody there to help him. He has no disciples. 
What happened in six months that took, him, took them from being followers of Jesus back to fishermen again? Well, I have a few theories. One, I wonder if their family intervened. Luke says Simon was married. I wonder what Simon's wife thought about everything. Simon, you're just going to quit the fishing business? You just bought those nets last spring. How are you going to make money? What are we going to eat? When you were fishing, even if business was bad, at least we had fish to eat. Now what? And what's this about this guy changing your name? You're not going to be called Simon anymore. He wants you to be called Peter. Luke also says Simon's mother-in-law was living with them at the time. So that kind of explains why Simon was initially interested in following Jesus, right? <laughs> okay, listen, honey. I'm going to be traveling a lot. I won't be home much. In all seriousness, I wonder what Simon's mother-in-law had to say when her son-in-law announced he was quitting his job to go follow a carpenter from Nazareth who says he's the Messiah. Family can put a lot of pressure on you. It would be very easy for Peter to just step back and say, okay, you know what? I, I talked with my family. I don't know if this was the right move. Maybe I'd better go back to fishing. Maybe you've experienced the same kind of thing. Somebody introduced you to Jesus for the first time, or maybe you were already a Christian and something happened that made you really take him seriously for the first time, and you were on fire for Jesus, and you could not wait to tell others, and you were so excited. It seemed like for the first time, things were really falling into place, and you had a real relationship with God. But then, six to eight months later, life goes by, life happens, and pretty soon you're back to where you were. And it's not like you ever made a choice to turn away from him. You just stopped really following. And before you know it, your life isn't really any different than it was. I'm fascinated by this scene in Luke chapter 5 because you do know that this moment has to be pretty awkward. Imagine being Simon and Andrew in that boat and right down the shore, there stands Jesus and he's walking towards you. Oh man, Andrew, look, it's him. Remember when we said we were going to be his disciples and we did it for like a month and then we left? This is awkward. Turn around quick. Maybe he won't notice us. But Jesus never even gives him a chance to argue. He just gets in the boat. Verse 3, he gets into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So now Simon and Andrew have to sit here and listen to him preach. There's no way to escape now. Verse 4, when he had finished speaking, okay, finally he's done. Let's get back to shore. Go home. Forget this happened. You know what? He probably didn't even recognize us from six months ago. That was a long time ago. Obviously, these big crowds are following him. He sees faces all day long. He's probably forgotten ours. Let's just get this awkward boat ride over with. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let the nets down for a catch. Jesus says, hey guys, thanks for the help today. You know what? We're out here already. Let's go fishing. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Jesus, actually, we were headed home to go to bed, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Can you imagine? Remember, 
This isn't Andrew and Simon's first time fishing. They're professionals. They know what a good day of fishing is like, and this isn't a good day of fishing. This is an unbelievable day of fishing. They drop the nets. They pull them in full of fish. This is the heat of the day when nobody catches fish. They drop the nets. They pull them in full of fish. It's getting too heavy for the boat. They drop the nets. They pull them in full of fish. And now imagine this scene. Andrew, Simon, and Jesus are all on his boat, knee deep in fish. And then in maybe the coolest scene in the whole book of Luke, Simon stops fishing. He's in the middle of the best day he's ever had fishing. This is something he's going to tell his kids and grandkids about. This is, this moment is the pinnacle of his entire fishing career. And he just stops. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, when he sees the most fish he's probably ever seen at one time on his boat, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Right in the middle of the best fishing moment of his entire life, Simon stops fishing. He lets the nets go, drops to his knees right in front of Jesus and says, okay, you win. You win. Lord, I don't even deserve to be on this boat with you. And Jesus, very calmly, without saying, I told you so, without asking for an apology, very lovingly says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Now that last part is big. See, they had followed Jesus once before. Back in John chapter 1, they had left what they were doing and joined up with Jesus. But look at what's different this time. Look at that last line. Something has changed. They pulled their boats up on shore left everything and followed him. Everything. The boats and nets that they had relied on to make a living, the tools that they used to make the money they lived on, they left them all at the shore. Somebody else can have them. And those fish, there were so many fish, two boats full of fish, that was probably as much as they would normally catch in three months. Imagine how much money they could sell those for at the market. They left them on shore. Why? What finally clicked in Peter's head that didn't click the first time he met Jesus? In that moment on the boat, everything finally fell into place. It finally occurred to him, this man who can step into my business and run it better in five minutes than I could in three months, why wouldn't I leave everything and follow him? And if he tells me, okay, from now on, your name is Peter. And instead of catching fish, from now on, we're going to catch people. Well, you know what? That sounds kind of odd, but so be it. I'm in. Because if he can do this miracle, if he truly has the power to provide in this way, he can certainly make sure my family is taken care of. If he commands the fish in the oceans, surely he can provide for my needs. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Jesus says, you cannot be obsessed with your job and still follow me. Jesus says, you cannot be obsessed with your relationships and still follow me. Jesus says, you cannot be obsessed with your hobby 
and still follow me. Jesus says, I will not share the driver's seat in your life with anything or anyone else. You want to be a Christian? Then you got to get off the boat. You got to dump all your gear on the beach and let's go. Don't look back. And that seems unfair, right? But let me show you one more fishing story. Turn to John 21. The last week of Jesus' life must have been so traumatic for Peter. Jesus, his leader, gets arrested, put on trial, murdered in less than 12 hours. He's afraid somebody might try and crucify him too. So when he, he's asked, he says he has no idea who Jesus is. He denies him. So now he's guilt-ridden about that. And then you spend all weekend hiding, assuming that if they kill Jesus, they're probably coming after you next. Sunday rolls around, and then you find out that somebody's taking the body from the tomb. And then you hear a rumor that Jesus is alive, and while you'd love to believe it, it's probably just a crazy rumor. And then he appears to you, alive, shows you the places in his hands where he was nailed to the cross. It's really him, but then he leaves again. So when it finally comes time for Jesus to regroup with everybody and give them their next instructions, guess where we find Peter? John 21, verse 2, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. Right back to the boat. They fish all night. You won't be surprised to hear that they catch nothing. And Jesus shows up on the beach, and Jesus calls out to Peter, that's it. I've had it. You denied me. You ran away when I got arrested, and now you're back out on the boat again. Peter, you and I are over. Jesus doesn't say that because Jesus understands Peter, and he understands us. Look at what happens. This is so amazing. Jesus calls out, catch anything? No. Jesus yells back, throw your net on the right side of the boat. You'll catch some. So they do it, and of course, it immediately fills with fish, and Peter realizes it's Jesus and swims towards the shore. And look at verse 10. This is the, this is the whole point of, the, of this thing. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 fish, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Listen to me. Jesus understands why you keep going back to the boat. You need to fish. Jesus understands that. You have a family to take care of. You have bills to pay. You have responsibilities. He's not dumb. He created you. He knows you need money. He knows you need relationships. He knows you need entertainment. He knows he, you, that you need your, your job. He knows all that. He's not dumb. He made you. He understands. He knows why you keep going back to the boat. But Jesus is saying, all those are fish. I can provide you with fish. The reason that Jesus demands to be in control isn't because of ego. It isn't because he's power crazy. It's because he knows he's a better fisherman than you. He knows he's a better fisherman than you. Jesus says, you will never be able to provide for your family the way I can provide for your family. Put me in charge of your family. Jesus says, I know your job better than you do. I created you and I created all those people in your office. Put me in charge of your work. 
Jesus says, I created your kids. You think I don't love your kids? I love your kids so much more than your human heart could ever love them. I know them inside and out. You can trust me to be in charge of how you raise your kids. See, when you choose to put Jesus first, you aren't choosing against everything else. God knows you need fish. God knows you need everything else that's in your life. He knows that. He knows how you are. He made you. And he's happy to help you with the fish. But you can't serve two masters. It doesn't work. And if you decide to put anything else at the top or anyone else at the top, you will never live up to your created potential because here's the truth that we continue to learn from God's word. You were created to work in a certain way. There is a version of your life where you can have peace and you can have joy, but it only works his way. Pray with me. Lord, we see these verses that say put you first and put us second. We always rebel against that. Our nature is to push back. But as we see in your word, when you tell us these tough things, you are telling us because you love us. You truly do want, you truly do know what's best for us. So Lord, this morning, if there's anything we have put ahead of you, Give us the courage to pull the boat up on shore and leave whatever it is on the beach. Give us the courage to walk away from whatever it is that is keeping us from your glory. God, you know I struggle with this. You know how hard this is for me. Give me humility. Give us humility to realize we don't have all the answers. Give us humility to realize we cannot succeed our way. Give us humility to set everything else aside and follow you. Father, thank you for providing for our needs. Father, We acknowledge this morning that you are a better fisherman than we are. Father, we acknowledge this morning that you are a better fisherman than we are. The fact that you care about our needs at all is astonishing. Father, we say this morning that we trust you to provide for our needs your way. Father, as we go into this time of communion, we thank you that you proved once for all that you're willing to provide for our needs. Father, we thank you that when you sent Jesus, you proved once for all that you are willing to provide for our needs, that you love us enough to take care of what we need, that you are willing to spend everything and give everything to provide for our needs. And Father, this morning we say, as we go into this time of communion, we say, Father, we trust you. You proved it at the cross. Father, we trust you. You proved it by giving up the thing most precious to you. And as we go into this week, Father, we say, lead us. We say, all these things that I'm holding on to, I'm setting us out on the beach. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much for that sacrifice. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.